Our team of experts is there, all online. So we've got Brad Davidson, Chris Roots, and also David Gately. I might say, firstly, good morning to David Gately. Great to have you back on board, mate, for Punters Postmortem. Jumping in the chair for Dino this morning. And how was your weekend, mate? Yeah, look, it was um, indifferent in parts, wasn't it? Obviously, we, we saw um, some significant track patterns there at Ted Rose Hill, but... Um, and some sort of low benchmark racing Mooney Valley as well. So, yeah, we'll um, we'll build off that as we launch into another carnival. Just how good is this sprinter, Marabi, mate? Because we're going to talk about, um, obviously, her feats over the course of the show, and no doubt a lot of texts will come in. But um, do you think she's right up there and should be grouped with, with, with the good ones? Well, the big query I had on her um, going into her last two starts was her ability to... Um, uh, run really well off a fast speed. She'd been coming off slow speeds and running their shoes the last 600 figures. Now, you can't run fast, right, if you're no good. So we knew she was very good um, to run those big last 600 figures. But when you get a fast run race, it's a totally different ball game. You're out of your comfort zone uh, pretty much from the start. You've got to absorb different levels of endurance as an athlete. Um, she's been able to tick that box with GST on top. She rode a hot speed at Caulfield, ran fast over all time. And then uh, yesterday at the Valley, um, measured up to, you know, up up in the weights, was able to sizzle along at a good speed mm-hmm. and again run really good time. So I've made a short answer long. Yeah, she's, she's, um, she's a group horse, no doubt. Exciting. We may see her, of course, up in Sydney. Uh, they've got some lofty ambitions, the stable, and so they should. Brad Davidson joins us as well. Brad, uh, welcome along to Punters Postmortem on this Monday. And, mate, uh, well, David touched on it. We are going to talk about how that track played at Rose Hill and how you guys will assess form. But let's talk about the expressway to kickstart overpass. He, uh, he, he gets the job done, and you know what? He probably deserves that, considering if you go back through his form last prep, he's always been sort of knocking on the door, and that was his big moment. Yeah, morning, Dave. Morning, Gator, and, and Chris uh, as well. But, yeah, look, uh, you're right. He's just a great ride by Tim Clark, wasn't it? It was a race where we didn't really have a, a definitive leader when you, you're looking into the into the race a few days out, and, and Tim Clark just sees the moment straight to the front. And you're right, Dave, when you talk about this horse last preparation, he, he was one of those that was flying under the radar. And I said before the race, his form in the form guide just doesn't warrant how he's going this horse. He had... No luck in a couple of unsuitable races in Sydney and then went down to Melbourne in the Coolmore Stud Stakes and did that should have finished second in that race behind Home Affairs. Mm. He, he was the strongest lady. He was held up until uh, very late in the, in the piece and, and, and savaged the line. So he's come back really well. I thought Animo was great. Um, we know that it was a fencing run day. All the winners on the day were fencing runs. So if you, if you weren't there, you found it very difficult and he couldn't find that spot. He was bumped in the straight as well. But I thought he was good that last 50, 100 metres and Really, it was always going to be a, a bit of a, a risky day for him, um, considering the setup: up 1,200 metres, firm rose hill and rail out. So I thought he did uh, plenty enough and, and right on track, and Forbidden Love was good as well, but all on his overpass and a great ride by Timmy Pike. Uh, Chris Roots from the City Morning Herald joins us. Chris, um, what was the reaction from James Cummings and Godolphin after the running of Animo, and what other news came out of the expressway? Yeah, I think I think mainly it was just... They accepted accepted what what had happened, and when you look at the times, Animo's run home in in just over thirty three seconds. And what happened on that track on the weekend? The leaders just didn't stop, and and it it wasn't so much that so much that you couldn't you couldn't run the time out wide. You, the, the, the ones in front just kept going. So it was one of those one of those tracks which you do get in a summer at Rose Hill, especially on a six meter rail that um the it's favoured. It's favoured to the rail and, and the front runners and um, Tim Clark. Well, he's just the best at that. And what makes him the best is that everyone knows what that Tim Clark can do. That everyone knows what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. But time and again, he goes to the front, stacks them up for two hundred metres, and then dashes away and wins a, wins a big race. And he did it again. That's why he rides for Gay Waterhouse so often, and that's why he's in probably the top five riders in the, in the um, city. Now, um, let's talk about the track. Um, I'll start with you, Brad. And, and not, look, we, where we, you know, Stevie Wonder knows what's happened there at Rose Hill on the weekend, and we've touched on it, and that's just the way the track has played. And sometimes we're going to get tracks play that way, sometimes we're going to have leaders capitulate with 200 to go. 
from a form perspective, though, and if punters are out there listening to this and let's say they did back a, a back marker or they backed a horse that just wasn't going to be suited, uh, what do you put in your particular form reference uh, as a note? And do you adjust, I don't know if you do ratings or how you do your form, but do you, do you give things a, a bit of an extra push next time they go out because of the way that track was playing? Yeah, definitely will. I mean, it's, 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 I would suggest at least a two-length advantage to be on the on the fence there on on Saturday. And look, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, there was a lot of blow up on social media and whatnot. But I suppose you can look at it two ways and say, well, you know, the the average punter down the pub on a Saturday afternoon, it's not great for him because he's not sure how that track's going to play, and he might be backing Animo, for example, and just predicting a fair track. But if you kind of keep your own notes you'll know that rail out six metres at Rose Hill, nine times out of ten, it's a massive fence in run by And I said it on Thursday night, I said it on Friday, said it on Saturday morning. You know, we're trying to get that information out there to punters. But sometimes you've got to just, you know, just try to, just try to you know, find that information about how a track's likely to play. Like, it was always going to, to be that way. Nine times out of ten, that's the way it plays. So it's just a case of then you've got to, you know, when you're looking out of the meeting, You've got to just bring those back, those horses that were fenced in run a bit, and give an extra tick to anything that did anything off the fence, and and be forgiving to anything that was maybe a bit disappointing. So I know I know Gator's big on that. Gator uh, does his forgive files throughout the week, and and he's big on forgiving horses. And I'm exactly the same. You really want to be forgiving of most horses that were off the, the fence there on Saturday. What about yourself, Gator? When you're doing your form, obviously you know. Uh it's probably going to be a similar sort of echo to what Brad's saying. I mean, you'll be... Do you think it was is that big of advantage, what the two and a half that Brad mentioned? Yeah, look, I find the, the margins tough to quantify. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly... You just uh, add, add significant merit uh, to those who are able to run on. I mean, I go back to a meeting um, in the spring and I think I should put a tweet out saying, here's a list of horses that uh, hooked out wide... Uh, on on the track, you know, amongst them were Private Eye and Doncaster. When there are there are a stack of them, there are ten of them on the day, and they all either ran enormous or or won. Um, so, you know, it, it, you just have to um, to to add merit to, to the run if you're able to make ground out wide and and be able to forgive. It's often tough, you know, if you've done your ten bucks or you know, it, it is it's challenging because you're emotionally involved and you're invested. You know, with the hard-earned money, so I get it. Um, but we have to be able to, to draw that that line and take emotion out of it wherever we can. Um, I think as an industry, though, we need to cater for those punters down the pub, not just the elite knowledge ones, because if this sport's going to survive long-term, um, we need those people invested in the game. And if they keep turning up and, and don't get a chance, um, put their money up and don't get a chance to, to break even or win, then they'll leave the sport. So I think that's where the real trouble will lie. So is that more from a, a messaging point of view? Because we can't change the way the track is playing. Is it more so that we need to be more vocal about it in our coverage? Oh, look, I think there's, there's two parts to that. Certainly um, the information that Brad mentioned is king. I mean, I'm all for giving punters as much information as I've got in my feeble little brain. Um, and I think we all need to do that. So if it's too much for the punters, they can just absorb what they want, filter it and take, you know, take what, what they need to use um, to enjoy the hobby that is horse racing, the sport. Um, and so there's, there's that aspect of it um, from, our, from the onus is on us. But also I don't think we just give up and say, all right, that's the way it's always going to be. We've got science, 2022, let's address it and, and get these tracks right. So it's a level playing field as, as often as possible. And then if the punters lose, you know, it's their own fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's taken out of their control. And, you know, I don't think that's fair um, on, on punters. I know we can say, oh, that's how it is and that's how it always has been. But to just give up and, and not address it, I think is wrong. Chris, any comment there, mate? I think, you know, what we've got to remember is that these aberrations of um, major track bias like we had on Saturday are so few and far between now. I think uh, Gator mentioned one there, there, there back in the spring. I think we all remember Queen Elizabeth Day when they watered the track and they shouldn't have. Um, but 
you don't we don't have them week in week out which is what happens in some other some other jurisdictions and things like that and it just stops people from having confidence to have a bet like like they have at um, Eagle Farm and places like that because in the end what we've got to do is have have confidence have our punters have confidence and when we're talking about punters down the down the pub we can you can put out all the information you want but some of those guys might just go down there and take their best bets or take their Sydney Morning Herald form down to the um down to the pub and um, sit down there on a Saturday, have a schooner and 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 do their own form, and they're not aware of the the differences that can happen in tracks. So, it's it's we can you can say all you tell people all you want, we can get them information out as much as we want. But we've got to remember it is an outdoor sport, and you know when you run with the wind and not in football, you kick a few more goals. And on that on this day, there was a to use a football analogy, there was a big wind and it was on the fence. One and two, one and maybe just two off. So, um, I think the jockeys were fairly aware of it. I I went out and walked the track before the first. I ran into one or two of them, and they they said it's going to be um, fast rails in run, and they were all aware of it. So, it wasn't like like it was um, a big secret to to everyone. The problem was with the expressway. There wasn't any known leader in the race so the market didn't really react so the market basically stayed around animo because it wasn't there wasn't somewhat one horse where you could say oh this is going to lead and even beyond baker thought billy chip a would probably lead overpass so what hope have you got if the trainer thinks that um the stable mate was going to lead when the the actual leader and winner was uh, was the three-year-old we've got our first yeah you go brad sorry mate quickly just on that um i if I give two bits of advice to the, the punter down the pub on a, on a Saturday afternoon, it would be this, right? Because it would be bet late. And the reason I say that is that those things are factored into the price late in the piece. So if you're not watching it and you're not worried about track pattern anything like that, you're just enjoying a couple of beers and a, and a palmy down the, the pub with a, with a mate. Bet late because what that does is Animo, for example, the track pattern was factored into that price. It's $1.60 out to $2.30. So you're getting that price to, to counteract that one. So, so all those things that are happening on race day, that happens into a market in the last five minutes. And a horse you might like might not be as well suited, but all of a sudden you're getting $8 instead of $5. It's only got to win, you know, one in, one in uh, seven or eight. You're, you're in front, basically. Um, so that would be one thing. The other thing I would say is, is on a day where you might think there's a bit of a track pattern, back the, the jockeys, right? Focus on your best jockeys because we saw there on Saturday some jockeys clued on to the, the inside bias a lot better than other jockeys. Some, not so much, but you look at Tommy Berry, for example, and where Rary falls, he found the fence on that horse from a wide gate. It had no chance of getting the fence if Tommy wasn't just absolutely honing for that fence. We saw Hugh Bowman do it with the bopper. That didn't pay off, but he was clued on. We saw James McDonald do it with Crystal Pegasus. You know, they're three of the best jockeys going around, and generally the best jockeys clue on to track pattern quicker than the others, and that's what makes them the best. So that'd be my two pieces of advice. If you're down the pub, and you're not worried about, you know, you, you don't want to focus on all these things, bet late and focus on your, your best job. Let's get to our first caller. We've got uh, Rob on the line. Morning, Rob. Morning. How you going, boys? Good, mate. What's Good your thanks. question to the panel? Mate, uh, first of all, I want to um, congratulate Gator for his honesty in acknowledging um, he's the first journalist I've heard talk about bias tracks and, and be honest about it instead of hiding it behind the scenes. The second thing is what Brad just said, mate. People go down the pub on a Saturday. They get down there at 12 o'clock or whatever time the first race is on. Mate, by 4 o'clock with a track bias, mate, they, their money's gone because they just can't work out what's going on. I've been punked for 45 years, mate, and I don't want to go to the races or to a pub on a Saturday to see a track bias race. Mate, in this day and age, with the sciences we have, Mate, there shouldn't be any track bias. Now, why is the rail out six metres? We had no rain during the week. Why is it out six metres? And someone says, oh, because of water. Mate, there's irrigation. We've got technology today that shouldn't have these things. And honest to God, if it continues, people aren't going to bet. And I won't bet at Rose Hill again until I see an improvement. Rose Hill's lost my money. And I've been betting for 45 years, and I invest a lot on a Saturday. But I won't be betting there anymore. It's a disgrace. 
Robert, thanks for your call, mate, um, and appreciate it. I don't know about just giving Gator a rap, mate. We brought it up on the show. We weren't all just hiding it. Um, but I think, no, uh, you know, Gator is spot on. I, I think, too, um, that the the technology thing's really... That, that fascinates me because you see these blokes, um, you know, heading into space and doing all these things. Um, it would be really interesting. Maybe there isn't any technology more than we know of. Um, but is it also, too, the fact that, uh, boys... Because we are so well-conversed and understanding, well, not understanding why it's happening, but with the TV, with what we're doing now and, and the fact that we're talking about it, has this sort of thing always sort of happened? It just hasn't had the spotlight on it as uh, as intently. I'm going to chime yeah, in there. Do we are, agree? Punters, punters are um, better informed than they ever have been. And that, you know, it's not that long ago, Gator can probably remember that you had to pay for videos and you couldn't you couldn't get videos. Now you can get videos of any race anywhere in the state and and of trials. So you you know you can actually go and do do the work if you've got the time and the inclination. You can actually go and do the work. I think just bidding rub race hell over one meeting is a bit harsh. Um, I think it's widely acknowledged amongst the the professional community that it's the fairest track and races that the races are truest in Sydney. Although it does race towards, especially over 1,100 metres, towards inside leaders, leaders just the just the way the horse is configured. Um, what I have a problem is with with and being a Group Two day, this comes into it that that we've got a bias track on a bigger day. Like it's going to be it's going to be more spotlight, and it's happened in Melbourne on a number of occasions where we've had Group One days where this has happened as well. So you know, it's not just Sydney. Yet. It's 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 a problem that comes about because the track that they they try and maintain these tracks and have the best racing service for the US meeting so I would assume that the rail will go back to three or or true for the Hobart fill in a couple of weeks so they were protecting that inside inside part of the track for for a for a big day and not to forget they've got a Coolmore and a golden slipper carnival coming up so what they're trying to do is managing manage the manage the track so that it's at its best when there is more eyes on the racing. So um, let's let's not um, go over the top about um, the bias on on Saturday and just bin the track for that. I think uh, overall, Rose Hill rides, rides, races probably the most even out of all the tracks in Sydney. I think they'd call them... Go on, go, you go, Gator. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I think there's things on that that you can control and things you can't control. So I think it's easy to swallow for a punter if... Um, say the track dries out during the day and there's compaction down on the inside and that quickens up. You know, I think that's that's where your footy analogy comes in. It's just nature. Um, so, that, okay, you're kicking with a five-goal win. It was a good one, Chris. I liked it. Um, but that, I think that's where that comes in. But if you're telling me before race one that all the jockeys walked the track and said, nah, this is the hot lane, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That, that seems a bit odd um, that... It was before even any race had been run that there was an awareness that that's the way the track would play. So, as I say, I think it's easier to swallow for, for us as punters um, if it's if it's out of the control of, of um, you know if it's, it's more a nature issue than, than a, a control issue. Two key takeouts for me. One one is I, I think the the listener uh, the caller made a really good point there around the the rail out six on a big day um, potentially. You know, going forward, I know there's a big autumn ahead and, and you're looking after the track and trying to protect that inside six metres for some, some big meetings ahead. But, you know, we were on a good track. We had a good lead-up of, of weather. We were never going to be on a wet track here on the weekend. And perhaps on these bigger days when we're starting to get the, the big horses back, we had group races there that we want to get that, that rail in a bit more um, because, as I said, it's generally just the case when the rail goes out six at Rose Hill that inside becomes, that fence becomes um, very noticeable advantage on, on most occasions. Um, it's just because of the, the tight turns and that rail, rail going out, it means hugging the fence is, is definitely a massive advantage. And my other advice to punters would be just take a general rule of Rose Hill versus Randwick. Rose Hill is an up and in track. So unless wet, then they're getting down the middle. It's a bit different. But if it's, if it's a dry Rose Hill, you want to focus on horses up and in. So you want to be up on speed and, and closer towards the fence. That's just generally the case, the way Rose Hill races. Ramwick, on the other case, feel free to back horses that get back and run on because it's a run-on track. It allows those to get into the running line and finish off right from the back. So that would be my advice to any punter out there is if you're doing the form, you do it yourself just on a couple of hours or whatever like that, 
focus on horses that are up on speed at Rose Hill and don't mind backing your horses that run on at Rantwick. All right, that's, give us a call probably, at 13.53. Go, Ruta. That's probably a good good, good advice. But the other thing with Saturday, and I'll, I'll, I did have a talk to Navesh about this before during the day. They, the, the track at Rose Hill, um, they usually work horses out on the outside fence there, and it's really noticeable where they've worked usually. With it being summer and the growth at the moment, that 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 was all covered up. So that's how how well the track was. It was it was kicking back really well. And the other thing was they mowed it on Friday because of the growth. So it was it was a, a little bit shorter. Grass was a little bit shorter. That was noticeable when you got on it. That the, it was really really cut back because of, because of what what they come got coming forward. So a lot of the preparations for t- Saturday wasn't about Saturday's meeting. It was about going forward and. Hopefully, we won't see that again. Let's talk about this particular mayor I spoke of, Marabi. Uh, we'll go back to you here, Gator. And look, pretty lofty uh, ambitions from David Eustace and the team, of course. This was the Australia Stakes here at Mooney Valley, the group two over 1,200. Um, David suggesting on RSN in Melbourne that uh, she will almost certainly go to the Oakley Plate now, uh, and then possibly the William Reed uh, after that then maybe the Sangster, or we might even see her in a TJ Smith. Um, for those that have just tuned in and, and missed our opening, we obviously gave the, the mayor a big rap, but she sort of, um, she's really just taken that next level, hasn't she? And she continues to do so. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't think we know what her ceiling is as yet. I think the other box she was able to tick on Saturday was a soft track. Um, the stable had openly said, oh, we think she's a bone-dry tracker. Um, didn't stop the punters... <laughs> launching into her, um, but, um, you know, soft six, but she handled that really well. Uh, she led it a good clip without going over the top. She was sort of five lengths above all averages, the first um, 600 of the rest of her half, and overall time some 10 lengths above. So this is what she's been doing consistently, um, you know, running a big last 600 off a moderate speed. She's found two strongly run races and been able to absorb that pressure and keep running, and that's where that's what separates the elites from the really good athletes. So that's uh, Marabi, and and you would have no—I mean, obviously all race dependent—but you'd have no concern telling punters to to continue to follow her in that group level now, based on what she's doing data-wise. Yeah, sure. I mean, and she's measured up to weight for age. That's the other box, you know. She's ticked on Saturday, so um, and look, even if she doesn't improve one uh, one bit going forward, which she's still capable of. Um, then she's certainly competitive, you know, around all of our um, all of our really good sprinters at the moment. You know, could she win an Everest? I don't know about all that, but um, you know, you know the, um, the the level of pressure in those sort of races would be a, a, a proper test for any athlete. So, um, put it this way: she's she's she'll be top of the market in an Oakley Plate. I've never seen a slowly run Oakley Plate in history, so there'll be pressure. And whether or not she can um, absorb that, well, let's see. Yeah, she's, she's definitely going to be on the radar, hasn't she now, Chris? I mean, for a number of uh, slot holders. I know we're talking about Everest and there's so much water to roll on the, under the bridge. But, I mean, we saw horses last year that were left field picks. Um, you know, I mean, we saw Rothfire get picked up. I mean, didn't start. But, you know, you don't, just, you don't know which way these slot holders will go. And, and no doubt she's got some attention. The... the the question mark I've got on her at the moment is that that was a she's she's been doing it in the summer and hasn't done it with the pressure of the of all the good ones around her and that's a different kind of race once you you can you can beat up in B grade and C grade but you've got to come you've got to come to um, you've got to go and play A grade and you're now going to be asked to take I think she's two fifty in an Oakley plate um, about a horse that's going to that level for the first time and really meeting those sort of horses for the first time. If you look at the race on the weekend, the two group horses basically ran really well in the race and the two horses you wanted to go, you you were hoping to see ran run well, ran well. But she's now going to um, have a break and come to go to the Oakley Plate. It's going to be, that's the day where a lot of punters are going to fall into her at a short price and they're going to get upset when... If she gets beat after being taken on in front or something, or doesn't have, can't hold off um, horses that have been there and done that, and there's a lot to be said about match fitness at that top level. It's it's one of those things that there's a different level of pressure, like Gator said, and 
that's the only concern I've got with her. But she does make her own luck, and she can run time off off the front and kick off a good speed. So those horses generally um, can step up. Right, let's jump back to Sydney now, and let's talk about these two-year-olds um, because uh, there was yeah a bit of a spruik around Great Barrier Reef, and it turned into. Uh, not a great spruik. Uh, what did we make of the Canterbury? Uh, best of Bordeaux was too good there. Um, give us an analysis of, of what you thought of the Canterbury, Brad. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit wary of the race going forward, to be honest, Dave. I, I mean, it looked a race that, that lacked sort of depth on paper with a few scratchings, and uh, it was obviously all around Great Barrier Reef. And on that, uh, yeah, I think it was a bit overplayed, wasn't it? I mean, the, the times out of the trials were soft and, and, and the form around it in the trial was nothing great, but obviously had this boom on it. And, and it was kind of, I think a lot of people there on Saturday, including me, were kind of left with it after the scratchings. And then when they all paraded, Best of Bordeaux was the best parader by a country mile and, and was heavily back laid and straight to the front and, and too good. But when you break down the times here, they've run about three lengths slower than the wooden stakes. The last 600 is about five. Uh, five lengths slower. So I'm saying that the best of Bordeaux performance might be overplayed or probably definitely will be overplayed next time out. And it's not a race that I'll be looking to follow. I'll be definitely thinking the wooden stakes is, is much stronger and I'll be following that race for sure. Okay. All right. So that's the uh, the Canterbury there. Let's get to our next caller. Bob's on the line. Morning, Bob. Good morning. What uh, is on your mind, mate? Uh, look, uh, I'm just, I'm just wondering. I've been, I've been at it for quite a while now. Uh, the reason why the raised results from the previous day, they're not brought into the, they don't print them for the following uh, in the paper, like the weekend, the weekend Saturday meeting, uh, New South Wales and uh, and all over Australia. Uh, there was about uh, 17 pages printed. And there was about uh, 16 or 17 races all up, including four greyhound uh, races. And on the Sunday Telegraph, they only brought about seven all up. Um, all right, beautiful. Uh, well, that's I well. I, I I'll, I'll bring Dave, I'll bring Chris in here. No, you, I, I know you can't talk, talk for the, the telly. Telegraph. So just the thing, but I know that they've moved their race results out of the sports section and they, they run back in the paper now now and it's just a it's just become a space concern spurn with newspapers. As you know, they're getting smaller, there's less coverage of of a Saturday and things like that. And it, it was one of the things that um, during COVID when the papers got smaller that that was one of the things that um, they looked at and said in the end um, you can get your result, race results in a lot of other places other than in a newspaper. And sadly, that's the way things are going. There's a lot of things that are now missing from newspapers that have been there for a long time. So um, it's it's just the way the world's going. And you probably just have to get on the internet, go to Racing New South Wales and get the get the results, get the full results there or go to the tab to get the dividends. That's, that's um, I know it's no solace to people who've read newspapers for 50 years or or, or that, but that's the way things are going. And unfortunately, um, uh, to run two pages of race results is um, is a luxury that papers no longer have. Thanks for your call, Bob, um, and thanks for that, Chris. As I said, no, I know you can't speak for another organisation, but you can obviously for your um, nine papers, etc. Uh, so we, yeah, I mean, um, they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. There'll always be newspapers or news but I wonder if it you know in 20 years time it'll just all be internet um, now Widden Stakes your analysis here I might come to you here Gator because you were keeping an eye on these two year olds in, in Sydney and then I'll get a comment from you Brad and, and Chris as well but um, Queen of the Ball for Richard and Michael Freeman was too good at a good price yeah it was a pretty neat win um, obviously time was good but it was a pretty fast day so what I'd like to do is, is line them up A against uh, their own age and sex, oh, not so much not, not so much sex, but their own age. So we do get a line on the wooden stakes against the Canterbury and, and great sort of referenced it. So what they're able to do, the fillies in the Widden, was actually run a slower first 500 by about some three lengths, so near half a second slower the first section of that race, first, first 500, then come home significantly faster and uh, run, you know, near around 0.4 roughly, um, seconds overall quicker despite a slower early speed so 
when that happens, make no mistake which is the better race. <laughs> it's uh, it's the wooden stakes. Um, but the margin, I have to respect the margin with Best of Bordeaux, and he was powerful through the line. Um, but with the, the wooden stakes, clearly the better race on the day, ratings-wise. You know, time's done everything, but you do need to be fast if you want to be a good athlete. That's that's a fact, and that's just uh, just basic science. But she, she did a great job. Um, I think the margin exaggerated for obvious reasons. The only run on horse was the one that ran on hard on the inside rail, Shokara, and the other two on finished third and fourth or right there, but they were they were thrashed. Um, and look, OJ's probably run well, second quickest home, 11.34 uh, against the uh, the pattern, so I'm certainly adding merit to that runner and Mumbai Jewel. Brad, chiming in there. Oh, yeah. I didn't mind the run. Considering now we know how this track's played, I thought Mumbai Jewel... Uh, was a well, definitely definitely a run, and I'm talking through my pocket here, but I'm going to have to butter up again now because there's a lot yeah. of unknown there. Yep, there's definitely um, giving, as Gator said, giving giving bump up to those horses that were definitely off the rail there. Point of the ball, she was she was outstanding. Obviously, she's got to do that now at 1200 meters and reproduce that. I mean, sometimes we see these horses come back and they're fresh and full of themselves, and they just go so well first up that sometimes they regress back off that. So. We'll see if she can reproduce that, but Revolutionary Miss was, was outstanding, albeit bias-assisted, but she's produced the fourth-best last 200-metre split of the entire day. And, and then you go right through, and there's a couple of excuses down the bottom as well. I mean, Ebhar over-raced badly when they, when they try to take a, take a stick with her, and she pulled up slow to recover, so I want to be, want to be forgiving there. And even Drasana down the bottom missed the start four lengths and just never tacked on. There were some concerns with her actions, so... Hopefully all is okay there, and obviously that was a complete excuse, albeit that she's got that bad habit of missing the jump. But now Queen of the Ball, great revolutionary uh, miss was was very good, and, and some forgive runs that, that wasn't part of the pattern. Just back on Best of Bordeaux as well. I wonder whether they put the blinkers on there on Saturday. I always think they had more of an effect at their first race start versus you know race two or race three with them on. So it'd be interesting to see whether he's as explosive next time out with uh, with those blinkers. Now, we're talking about, you know, getting the, the right and correct information to punters. So there's a text on the text line here, and you guys might be able to assist me here. Um, but um, the trial of Best of Bordeaux, the first trial at Doombin, the official placings, were they wrong? Um, because the vision is saying that uh, Best of Bordeaux actually finished fourth in that trial, that official trial, beaten 2.3, but was officially listed as finishing seventh online. Now... You then go back and have a look at that original trial. The the placings all around were Mashani Warrior, Thelwell, and Palazzo um, Spirit. They've all been winners of two year old races there in Sydney, uh, in Brisbane, I should say. So I mean, um, that's that's shocking if that's actually happened. And how has that happened? Well, I don't know, Dave, what they do in Queensland. They they might just they might not just put the run. They might do one, two, three. Um, Matt Rudolph, I hope he's listening in Queensland. He might be able to tell us what, what how they do it, but and they might have just run on the horses after that. On best of all, though, I've got one rule. I hate backing horses first up in blinkers. Now, talking to Casey Frogden after the race, she said, we always knew it was a blinkers horse, and they gave it the first prep and knew it after that. They, they stopped, they come back, they put the blinkers on in the Sunshine Coast trial. They worked. They they knew they had a racehorse then, and that's why they come to Sydney. So um, it was definitely a really good performance and got running. And and Sammy Clippin was a bit kind to it over there over the over the last hundred metres because the race was won, and you know there was a few horses there really struggling behind it. So I, I'm actually I'm actually very keen to see it again. I think often the two-year-old race races where there are big margins that people discount are the ones that you can um, use going forward and they can be they can they can be especially with a smaller trainer who is not the flavor of the month like the Snowdens, Annabelle and people like that the market tends to gravitate away from them and with everyone sort of saying oh best of Bordeaux that that might have been it wasn't as good a win as um, Queen of the Ball well um, it might mean that you get a better price now. It'll be interesting to see what race she comes back for. She was talking Skylines, maybe even a Silver Slipper if they want to go for that million-dollar bonus that's available to horses that win three races, three certain three races during the carnival. My thing with Queen of the Ball was, and they went really fast out of the gates, 
and then they went six lengths slower for the second 200 meter section. That's when their par got um, pulling because as a, as Sam tried to take a spot back in behind them and take the sit, they just took all the speed out of the race, got the breather, and that allowed Queen of the Ball to run home the way it did because of of the breather it had got. It was still a very good performance, don't get me wrong, but I'd be um, I I think think in a race where there's a little bit more pressure and things like that i'd like to and as two-year-old races that can be run with pressure all the way through them especially when they get to these bigger two-year-old races i'd I'd prefer to take um best of board by going forward than queen of the ball um bringing the two-year-old chat into uh to calculation here gator obviously we're going to have blue diamonds there in melbourne um I don't know how the scheduling works down there in victoria but are you surprised i mean i was surprised there's no there was no two-year-old race there on on saturday at the valley no, they run the the Blue Diamond previews at um, on Wednesday at, um, yeah. at Corfu, so that that took sort sort of centre stage, and I think there's one on Saturday, Chairman or something. But um, at Corfu, and that's produced Extreme Choice, so it, it can be a reasonable guide. Okay. Um, from the previews, the Blue Diamond previews it was it was probably a similar story, um, in that the girls certainly had the advantage on the clock. Miss Rosiana was able to win the Phillies division, um, and Dormier beat Rampant Line in the in the boys, but you know, they've gone about three lengths quicker off a slightly quicker first section of that race as well. So it looks to be advantage fillies in the lead-up to, to the, the diamond. Um, but, look, it's very early day. And there's a text on the text line about... Hang on, hang on, a Hang on, Ruta, hang on, hang on. There's a text here on the text line about uh, Thursday, Packenham, and your thoughts on Merchant, uh, Prince and River, Ribble, and then I'll come to you, Chris. Gator? I've only had one look at that race, and I haven't got, um, okay. got the figures for you, but um, there was certainly a good spruik around the runner-up from memory. Um, so I would need to do some homework and come back to you on that one. That's all right. Go, go, Chris. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Of. That race seems, <laughs> seems to be seems to be a, a race that um, there was a spruik around the second and third horses, and there wasn't much talk about the Merchant Navy Colt. So, you know, it's... Um, and it might have been a strong race because there was no race on Saturday. That might have been well, the, the option for them. Yeah, well, it got my attention to, uh, for two things. One, because we had, obviously, Jocko Logley coming on Racing HQ, and I know that the Australian Bloodstock boys were quite keen about River Ribble, but then also with Mark uh, Hunter, who came on to preview that meeting, he was sort of saying, look, he was so impressed with Sir Bailey at the jump outs, and uh, he was, you know, suggesting that, it was up in the uh, top echelon. This this race was going to be a, a really big form race for the two-year-olds there in Victoria. So uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on that. But, yeah, there's, that, that's why, of course, we didn't have a two-year-old race there on Saturday at the Valley because of those um, those previews. So it's worth noting, just, Dave. Sorry. Yep. It's worth noting that the third horse in that was Sir Bailey, who was also well-liked at $1.95. So um, I just don't have the, the figures take a few days to come through, so I just don't have them. So I, I, I can't tell you. There was only one and a half lengths over four of them. Which always has me a little nervous, but um, yeah, look, as I say, plenty of water under the bridge. And, and just on, um, just quickly for reference, so the Extreme Choice race, so is that next week? I think that it's he Saturday. he won that race. I think it's this Saturday, but I've been wrong. Before. This Saturday. Okay, no, that's all right. Well, I'm happy to follow you because you could be a, you'll, you'll be a genius if, it, if the winner comes out of it. We'll all be going. Oh, Gator told us on the 31st. Uh, back to Sydney, Davo here. Um, now, we spoke with Annabelle Nisham before this uh, midway uh, on Thursday on HQ, and obviously there was that intent there with military expert to go forward. Um, more Sundays gets the job done. Are we giving a big forgive, though, for military expert just then now from you know the position it had to get to and the fact that we know that that track was playing the way it was? I think we have to, yeah. I mean, he did get quite warm as well in the mounting yard prior uh, to, the, to the race, so... You know, a few horses were getting a bit above themselves, particularly those first up from a spell. And, look, you didn't find the fence, so you've got to be pretty forgiving. Having said all that, you're probably entitled to do a little bit more late in the piece. And I suppose that, you know, where are we at with these three-year-olds, I guess, is, a, is an interesting conversation. You know, I, I think the three-year-olds over a trip, when Animo gets out in trips, the Profondos and all them, 2,000 metres, 1,800, I think they look really good, but... The three-year-olds, um, you know, take away home affairs over the sprinting trips and, and maybe, uh, you know, I mean, still what Overpass did, so maybe that's being a little bit harsh. But it's, it's an interesting conversation because Military Expert had, you know, all that form around all the, 
some really nice horses in its last preparation and it wasn't able to come out and get the job done in a midway. But we talked about the bias, we talked about being forgiving there, we talked about the the, the, the warm weather and the fact it got warm in the mounting yard. So maybe give it another chance. It did carry 59.5 as well. So I want to see it again next time out and, and definitely one of those that didn't parade the best. All right, perfect. That's uh, a look at the uh, the midway there with Brad. We've got Mark on the line. Morning, Mark. Hey, Dave. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. What's on your mind? Animo, mate. Um, Two-part question, if I can. Um, just ask the boys their opinion of its run generally on, on Saturday. But uh, a sort of a hindsight sort of question. Um, with, with the Everest last year, I just want to know, from, especially Gator, because he's a Melbourne person, he's bought, you know, with a cox plate, um, should have Animo... Would you run better if you run in the, uh, the Everest compared to going uh, Caulfield Guineas, Cox Plate? Well, you had a better chance with a fast run rate at Brewery over 1,200 metres. Um, and that. Just your opinion about that, if I could, Gator? Yeah, I'm not sure I fully grasped the question. Are we talking about um, how he would have gone on Saturday on a lighter prayer? No, no. We're talking about because he gets back and loves speed on in his races, would he had a better preparation if you run in the Everest instead of going to Cox Plate. That's a hypothetical one for that. Just and Obviously, he's run on Saturday, been a good run coming back in the at, field. Again, over 12 as, in you, as in, do you think he's a sprinter, Mark? Is that what you're suggesting? Basically, what I'm saying is that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Look, it's, right. it's certainly worth worth discussion. I mean, what I do have is a lot of faith in, in that stable and what they do with, um, with where they place horses. Um, I mean, he has been beating a lip in a Cox Plate yeah. um, and he's beaten the Melbourne Cup winner, uh, who won it by four uh, in the fifth fastest time in history. So um, I have to put the rundown as outstanding at 2,000 metres. Uh, obviously, his Guineas win was terrific. He beat Artorias into third, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, and his run on Saturday was, was excellent. I mean, uh, the best... <laughs> I got a text message from a really good racing brain and said, Animo probably needed to be four or five lengths better than him instead of two or three. That was the difference. And it's exactly what happened. He was beaten less than a length. Yeah. yeah. I think on that question on the on the Tab Everest, personally, I think if he went to the Tab Everest last year, could not have possibly won the race. So I don't think he's a sprinter at all. I think he's a a two thousand metre horse written all over him. And I think Saturday, guys, is a great example for any punter out there that often when you're looking at races, you've got to find the horses that are best suited, not the best horse. We all know Animo was the best horse here on Saturday. There's no doubt about it. And probably without the bias, he still probably gets the job done, right? But there's always that query when they're returning, rail out six, Rose Hill firm, 1,200 metres. There's a lot of negatives there. So, you know, you've always got to look at the, the jigsaw puzzle that is doing the form and say, OK, yes, we know he's clearly the best horse, but there's these others here that are, that are ready to rumble here. And he's almost pre-season. He's, you know, kicking off. He's get, blowing out the cobwebs. And later on, we're going to see Animo come into his own. So... You know, there's those things you've got to look at. And a lot of people, I think, when, when horses come back in, in, in the autumn or the, the spring, they go, oh, Animo's racing. He'll just win because he's clearly the best horse, where it's not often that simple. And sometimes you've just got to, you know, just got to be wary of that if you're down the pub on a Saturday afternoon and, and you know, an Animo's $1.70 out to 2.30, obviously bias-related. But, um, you know, there were a few there that were definitely in the camp saying that he was vulnerable there on the weekend. But in terms of the Everest, I think he could not have possibly won that race. I don't think he's a 1,200-metre horse at all. It's interesting It's interesting with him, Dave, because he's um, he's got a rather unique um, um, style, style um, resume on his form now. He's been, um, he's been a horse that's run in a blue diamond, a golden slipper, a golden rose, and a Caulfield Guineas. Now, only three horses have done that this century, and they've all won Group 1 races. So... The other ones are Artorias and are All American, which beats so you think in a in a, in the big mile race at Flemington on on the final day of the carnival when it used to be run there. I think it's the Cantilever. So basically, he is tough, and he's also I think I think we we now know that he's a miler, and he's and he's going to and James wanted to give him that run so that he didn't have to go into the Herbertville in two weeks with we're first up. So he's worked out that. He just gets better and better through his preparations, which we've seen in every one of his preparations is he's just got stronger. You don't often see a horse get beaten in a blue diamond pro ute and then come out running the blue diamond, come up here running the golden slipper, and then his best performance of his two-year-old career was in the uh, in the sires. You know, that just says that he's a horse that loves being in the stable and loves racing. And I think anyone who drops off him after Saturday is, 
is completely mad. I think I can't wait for the round with Guineas because we're going to see two really good horses probably meeting at a trip where one of them's a little bit better favoured than the other, and I can't wait to see Profondo um, trial. Uh, speaking of those trials this morning, uh, the replays are, are filtering through. Um, did anyone on the panel catch the trial of Espiona at all? Yes, I saw it. It was it was one of those trials where you know just a Chris Waller trial, let it track up behind them, and you know tracked up behind Nature Strip and you know and Wild Ruler. They're not too yeah. bad horses to be around, are they? It's only one two races, but it's definitely going to start a very short price favourite in whatever it runs in and. It's first group one assignment's going to be the surround. Surround. There's a lot of yeah. hype around, isn't there? But I, I think it's justified. I, you know, sometimes you just see a, a racehorse and, and you, early on, and you can just say, "Yep, there's, there's something special about this." You remember Casique Legend in his early trials? You thought, "Wow, have a look at the stride on him." The autumn sun was similar, and the way she put that field away. I don't know what you thought, Gator, but the way that she won in, in Cup Week there, you know, with the years going back and forth, and I know it wasn't the, the strongest race going around, but she's got this ability to just run time, and oh, she she looks extremely good. Yeah, no, I think yeah, both points are really valid. Like, I trust my eye first every single time, and then the clock. I just, I'm just really hopeful that the clock backs it up. <laughs> um, in her case, it absolutely did with GST. I mean, the margin was seven, um, was pretty effortless. Uh, as you say, still doing a bit wrong, and um, and so much substance on the clock. I mean... The, the reality, I think sometimes we forget, these are athletes and, you know, you don't go to the Olympics and not time them. Uh, you know, we need to, you need to be able to run time if you're going to be really good. That trial, by the way, for punters, uh, you can jump on the Racing New South Wales website. You've got uh, all those trial replays. You'll probably see them played extensively today on uh, Sky Thoroughbred Central and Sky Racing. I'm tipping they'll be getting a run there as well. But it's the third trial. Wild Ruler wins the trial. Great to see Wild Ruler back. Nature Strip runs second. Espiona runs third. Then you've got top ranked in that trial as well, who's on that path headed towards an all-star mile. Mawanga also in the uh, out the back there, just having a little pipe opener. So uh, there's other trials as well going around today, uh, including some two-year-old trials. But, um, yeah, it's it's great to have these good it. horses back. Just watching it now, Dave, as you're talking, and watch her through the line as well. <laughs> She's actually running past Nature Strip through the line. Mm. It's, um, it's quite amazing. Yeah. It, 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 one it, thing it, you've got to do with Chris Waller horses particularly is watch them through the line. They, he, he's very big on his horses, um running through the line and in on all their trials he, he gets them to go around the turn because he doesn't want them stopping on race day and it is you'll often see his horses run fifth or six but by the by the home the turn out of the straight they're in front and charging away do we know a kickoff point chris has there been it's any the chat i mean finger, on, light fingers um speaking to chris on saturday about this um James rode the big guns today. He had very elegant into home affairs, into Nature Strip, which wouldn't be a bad all up. You'd probably get about four dollars in that first. Um, <laughs> it's um, that he was just having a feel of all those, and that meant Kathy got to get on Espiona. I, I don't think she'll be on on race day. There, there's a little kiwi who'll be um, who'll, who'll need a crowbar to get him off that out of that saddle. So that light fingers. There you go, punters. Keep an eye. And and we obviously the grand final we don't know yet. But um, are we are we thinking? Or has, has there been any? Or do you know? Has Chris let any cards out away from the chest? I think the first the first the first targets to get a group win, then to get a group one win. So the first two okay. runs will tell you where she goes. Now with the um, surround, there's the option of going and taking on the mares, three year old fillies. Down the weights have a really good race in a in a race like the Cornwall. There'd be, you know, there 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 are a number of options. I don't think she'd take on the boy boys in the um, round with Guineas. Could she go down for an Australian Guineas? Maybe this is where probably programming wise we get a bit robbed in the in the autumn because we've got two spring mile races at a mile, two, two spring fillies races at a mile. So if you had a flight state stakes or a thousand guineas on she'd almost certainly be there so you know it's just one of those things that you know the three-year-old fillies they have to be tested against the older horses whether she goes 
whether she goes to a race like a ends up in a race like the far lap it's a race chris has used on a number of occasions i think he's won it about four or five times with phillies including winks um very elegant one i think as well it's 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 sort of a staging point for his three-year-old filly so he might take it there as well all right horses to follow gents the time's gone pretty quick this morning it's 9 59 i'll come to you first gator what are we following from saturday's meeting Oh, look, I think we've summed it up. I'm just um, looking at any horse that was able to come wide and make significant ground, uh, you know, a horse, um, and, and adding plenty of merit to those runs and being forgiving. I think that's the way to make money out of out of Rose Hill on Saturday. All right, perfect. Uh, Davo, any particular horses you've singled out? Yeah, Golden Gorge, I think, is... When you when you break it all down the day, I mean, it was race one, so it was hard to say at the time, but three wide, no cover, and going as close as he did, he was... Probably close to the run run of the day in terms of class wise. I'm not saying he's you know as good as Animo and all that, but he he uh, next time out at Tab Highway again, he's going to be very hard to beat off that effort. Revolutionary Miss, if they can just find a a, a nice race, might be just that little fraction below the the best filly, but she's flying and uh, definitely eligible for a lot easier. And Astero, I think he's just busting for a wet track. Uh, if he can find one now, he's getting out to his right trip. Then uh, look out for him as well. All right, beautiful. Chris, your horses to follow? I, I, I can't get over the run of um, Forbidden Love. She's back to what she was last autumn. She, she's got, um, she'll have a few targets in front of her. Whether she goes to a Canterbury Stakes or a race like that, or a Apollo or a Canterbury Stakes, she's going to be in the mix there, and I think they're really keen to get her to a Coolmore. Um, I thought Best of Bordeaux was outstanding, and I, I just... I just want to be with it because I think there's going to be an element of getting a better price than you should with it at its next start. So I'll be sticking sticking there. And secretly, we literally, we didn't speak about this. This horse went around on Friday night, ran third at Canterbury, backed up and uh, uh, yeah. probably felt that felt that felt that run at Canterbury in the last 50 meters meters and just got tipped out, tipped out there in the last. Speaking to Anthony Cummings, he goes, "It's just tough, and I want to go to. Uh, I want to keep. I want to want to go, and he's going to go to a provincial championships with it. So, fourteen hundred meters. And he, when I asked him, well, why don't you find a race for it on Sunday? He said, Chris, Sunday's for rest. <laughs> just, just on that, guys. Uh, the the backup horse here on Saturday. I think it's just a, another great example. We hear it often. We hear people say, "Oh, I'm not sure whether this horse will handle the seven day backup. Nine times out of ten. A seven-day backup is a positive, not a not a negative. And you go back to the olden days; the horses would back up in two or three days. Even look at a at a Melbourne Cup. How many horses run well on a Saturday in a 2500 meter race, and then come out three days later and run well in the Melbourne Cup over thirty two hundred meters? I think backup horses are great. And if you ever hear someone saying, "Oh, a backup's a worry," I would always remember secretively going around a day later and running the race before. Boys, really appreciate uh, you coming on this morning uh, for the summer edition of Punters Postmortem. Gator, you've uh, absolutely slotted in perfectly, mate, filling in for Dino. We'd be very, very proud of you, mate, and uh, you're welcome any time. Mate, um, it's a pleasure to be here. They're big shoes to fill, but it's always good fun. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Uh, and uh, Brad and Chris, have a good week, boys, and we'll catch you on Sky Sports Radio. Thanks, guys. No problem. See you, mate.